I'll bet you wish this was my homily. No such luck. All right, I hope you packed a lunch for this one. I uh, spent a week trying to figure out, should I preach this topic or this one? And Jesus helped you people. I felt like the Lord said yes. So you're getting two of them today. Uh, We're going to start with some historical context for that first reading because most Americans uh, have been introduced to the Bible through, for lack of a better phrase, the Protestant Bible, which has about 12 less books. Um, So a lot of us might not be familiar with the book of Maccabees. And Maccabees is an account uh, of the Jewish rebellion against their Greek conquerors. So Alexander the Great died, as every conqueror does, not named Jesus. And his empire was divided up between seven families. And the ones who took uh, what we now call Israel were called the Ptolemies. Uh, And it starts with a P. The P is silent. And I don't know why. Just take it out. But they left it there. So we have the Ptolemies, and they were classic Greeks. They were steeped in philosophy and warfare. And they had a great skill and love at both. When they bumped into the Jews, it was the first time that they bumped into people who believed in what you and I call objective truth. And objective truth is this idea that truth is objective. There is a thing called truth. And it can't be bent, it can't be fixed, it can't be changed. That there is the truth. There are things that are true about you, there are things that are not true about you. There are things that are true about God, and things that are not true about God. This, and again, oh sweet Lord, I could do this for days, right? And uh, if you sinned enough, I would have but it led to a war. And the war was real simple, in a sense. It's what you could call the tyranny of relativism. Now, relativism is the philosophy that most people in the U.S. are steeped in. And you might think, well, I'm not a philosophy person. Maybe not, but you've got a philosophy. And no matter what, you either believe that truth is objective or that truth is relative. Most Americans believe truth is relative. So they say things like, your truth. Speak your truth. You don't have a truth. Yeah? There is the truth, and I hope we speak it. But sometimes we're wrong when we try to say the truth. Sometimes we're wrong on purpose. Sometimes we're wrong just because we don't know. But there is only the truth. This is really important, and it might seem like a weird little philosophical point, but if you look at where we are as a culture, you can see where relativism takes us, because on the surface, relativism seems so sweet. It says, hey man, you do you, I'll do me. And that works really good until you bump into people who say, no, but there's things that aren't true. So for the Greeks, it was simple. Hey, you worship your God. You just got to worship ours too. And the Jews were like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah? We're not going to worship your God because he doesn't exist. We're going to worship our God. You worship yours. Right? Uh, you worship yours. That's great. We just won't do it. 
because we believe that there is one God and we currently worship him. In our culture today, we've got this coming. We really do. I'm telling you this as a historian and a minor philosopher. We've got this battle coming. I doubt it'll be physical. Most of us, I don't know if we have an understanding of the fight enough. But make no mistake, relativism sounds great until it runs into people like us who say, no, there is truth and you can't make me lie. And then relativists become tyrants. Because since there's no truth for them to use as their springboard, all they've got is violence or intimidation or the ability to yell louder than you. What we want to make sure that we are like these beautiful Jewish martyrs of 2,200 years ago who said, the truth is worth my life. The truth matters. There is truth about who God is. And you don't have to believe it. I don't need you to agree with me. I just need you to not try to make me lie. I can't. Because get this, for us Christians, truth is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't speak the truth. Jesus is the truth. And he spoke. Truth took flesh and walked among us. And you see how much we love truth, yeah? Look at how that seemed to end. One of the most important things that you and I can do to spiritually thrive in this culture of death is to discover the truth and cling to it. And in our clinging to that truth, recognize there's things about, there are things that are true that I don't like at all. There are things that are true that I wish were not. But when I run into those, I have to bend, not the truth, because the truth is unchanging. I used to do tour groups in the Middle East, right? I would take people around Israel or Jordan or Lebanon and show them historical sites. And I tried doing a spiritual thing once and I was terrible at it. Uh, but that's a side note. Uh, and I can't tell you how often somebody with the best of intentions, it truly didn't offend me, but would say something like this. Well, you know, the Jews say God, the Muslims say Allah, the Christians say Jesus, it's all the same. Oh, 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 no, 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 not at all. And we got about a billion dead people who can back that up. God is either what the Muslims tell us, or what our Jewish brothers and sisters tell us, or what we say. He can't be all of them because this is horrifying. I think I told you this. One of my profs was a religious Jew, and he said the best thing. We were talking one time, and he goes, I don't think I can offend you, so I want to do this. I'm like, sweet, yeah? I thought we were going to talk about baseball. He said, you really believe Jesus was God? I mean, God. I was like, yeah. And he got killed? Said, yeah. And he goes, don't you think you need a new one? Right? It's a great point. He understood it better than most of us. If that's God, we have to change what we understand power to be. 
We have to change what we believe love is in sacrifice. It'd be easier to just change God, wouldn't it? Right? Our Jewish brothers and sisters have suffered for thousands of years for the same belief we have. Truth matters. And if I think you're wrong, that doesn't change your dignity. I don't need to change you or fix you. I'll love you right here and now. That's not the point. I don't need to agree with you to love you. That's ridiculous. That's arrogant. Because what if I'm wrong? Truth matters. For us who believe in truth, we need to recognize that the smallest truth all the way to the biggest one matter. Matter enough for these beautiful men and women, for their blood to tell us 2,000 years later, it matters. Find out what's true and cling to it. And if it hurts, it's a good hurt. It's a weight room hurt, yeah? It's a good time to do the weight room is that way joke, or no? Really? I thought that was funny. Okay. So that's the first thing I urge us, because this is what our first uh, story in the gospel was, or in the mass was. A mother and seven sons experienced what a ton of Jews did during this time. They were brought before their Greek masters and told, you need to sacrifice to our God. And their answer was, you gotta kill us first. And the Greeks said, fine. And in this story, a mother watched her seven boys get torn to pieces over the course of a day. She watched them torture her boys to death one by one. And when she spoke, and we didn't get to this part, but she didn't say anything except, I'm proud of my boys. They died for truth. I think that's important for us. In this day and age, when we're told nothing is wrong except calling something wrong, you and I stand lovingly, not angrily, not with judgment in our hearts, but we say, no, I believe there's truth and we can find it together. And when we find it, let's submit to it together. And if we disagree about what truth is, that's okay. You're still filled with the dignity and light of our God and I'll die for you. This is really important. And I couldn't pass up a chance to go on about it. So there we are. When we get to our gospel, we have an argument about truth in terms of death and resurrection. You have this group of people, you had the Pharisees, you had the scribes, and you had the Sadducees. And they were three different prominent religious groups of the time. We bump into the Pharisees a lot, and I know we get the idea they were our enemy, but make no mistake, Pharisees saved Christianity a few times. They were mostly on our side. But here's the deal with the Sadducees. They were a religious group of Jews who believed only in the authority of the first five books of what we call the Bible. The Bible was still 400 years away at this point. But they believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's it. And as a part of that belief, 
They said there's no angels and there's no resurrection of the dead. When you die, you're done. And I think I told you this last year. Great way to remember it. They didn't believe in angels or heaven, so they were sad. Did you see? <laughs> oh yeah, this is the stuff you learn at seminary. So they come to Jesus, and we miss the first part because it's this long. And I asked our holy deacon, just go ahead and do the shorter version. But they come to Jesus, and they ask him a question to try to make fun of Jesus and the Pharisees' belief in the resurrection. And their question is kind of weird. They say, okay, Jesus, you got a guy and he's married to a gal. Good start. He dies, and now back then the law was, if your brothers died, then the next brother in the lineup married his wife. Yeah, I know. Uh, and they tell this story, okay, so the brother dies and then his brother marries that gal. And then he dies and the next brother marries him. And they go on with this preposterous thing where a woman marries seven boys from the same family. Jesus saved that woman, yeah? They said, well, when they get to heaven, whose wife is she? And they think they've done something very clever. And Jesus talks to them about how marriage in the new age, meaning the one you and I live in, is different. See, up till the time of Jesus' death on the cross, for us who love him, there was an idea of marriage that was very simple. And it was much longer than the version we have now. But what that was was a social and political contract. That's what marriage was. Love had nothing to do with it. The word love is not used in relation to marriage in the Bible until the New Testament. And you will not find any history books from the Middle East or the Roman Empire that ever talked about the idea of love and marriage. And I promise this is true, except to make fun of it. There was a Roman general, Pompey Magnus, great general. And you can look this up. They made fun of him because he loved his wife. They just thought that was hysterical. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about a social and political contract. Two families maybe that don't get along will then marry two of their kids and they won't kill each other. Those two families won't go to war. Or you have something I need and I have something you need, let's have our kids get married. That's how marriage worked. And it was an agreement that he will protect her, she will take care of him, they'll make some kids, and those kids will take care of them when they're old because there was no 401ks. And there was no savings. You lived day to day. That was what marriage is. And in a weird way, it wasn't that important, such that here's how divorce worked, right? It's complicated. The husband would say to the wife, we are divorced. And that's it. That was divorce. What would the wife say? Probably, thank God. Uh, there was no ability for a woman to initiate divorce. That was marriage. But for us who believe in Jesus, we believe something changed in the person of Jesus. We believe God married us. Jesus' last words on the cross, right? It is... Say it. Finished. 
And in the language Jesus spoke, you know what he said that we translate that way? Consumatumest. It's consummated. Those were his last words. The same thing a man said with his wife when their marriage was consummated. He would proclaim, this marriage is consummated. And Jesus proclaimed it on the cross. He married us. And for the rest of the New Testament, every time a writer in the Bible talks about the church, they call it she. Because we, church, we're the bride. Jesus is the groom. And he married us on the cross. You are my bride. I will die for your dignity. I will die to serve you. I will die out of love. And when a couple stands here, and we had it twice yesterday, made a covenant, they weren't making a social contract. They weren't making a political contract. They were saying, the way Jesus loves me, that's how I'm loving you. And I'm going to get you to heaven if it kills me. That's what marriage is for us. That is the truth about marriage that we embrace. And for those of you who are married, God bless you. Two people becoming one. Two people trying to grow personally so that they can be God to the other. That's tough. I say this all the time. People, oh, Father, thank you. You know, celibacy is tough. I've seen you married people. That seems very difficult to me, yeah? Sweet Lord. Uh, when my day's done, I turn on a tiger game. That's it, you know? I always tell people I can just park a car, you know? It's just my opinion on the, where to park. No one finds that funny. <laughs> no, I've been in a car with married people where a discussion about where to park occurs, and I'm like, really? You know? Marriage is tough. Marriage is tough, and I honor you, and I love you for it. I love seeing your beautiful children. I love seeing your love for each other, even on the days when you're struggling, the years when you're struggling. When you emerge from that, you teach all of us truth. This is what God's love looks like. It don't quit. It's not based on emotion or contract. It's a covenant. So there's a super long homily. And I would apologize, but I'm not even remotely sorry. Yeah? <laughs> Let's be people who die for truth. Let's be people who live for truth. And that if we speak it, if we don't speak it in love, we better shut up. Because truth deserves affection. It's not a weapon, it's a gift. And in our marriages, may we show the world, this is what God's love looks like. May we show our spouse, this is what it's like to be loved. This is how God loves me, that's how I love you. We do this, and we transform society, not by politics or arguments, not by telling people, knock it off, but by living truth and living it with dignity and love. So we thank God for truth today. We thank God for marriage. And may the Eucharist we're going to receive strengthen our commitment to both. Amen? Amen. All right.